0: Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, I have to say I really love doing this podcast. And I'm, you know, just so thankful to be able to, to help you guys. And I'm so thankful for all the listeners who tune in every week. It's really a joy to wake up every morning and, and do what I do. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And uh, just wrapped up a Memorial Day weekend. I had a Wonderful weekend with my daughter, and uh, we went to the Los Angeles Zoo. And she said her favorite animals were the uh, the amphibians, the snakes, and the, the reptile exhibits, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And just had a wonderful weekend, bike riding in Venice Beach, and then going hiking in Griffith Park, and made a lot of healthy foods. I very feeling very rejuvenated and relaxed after my weekend. And uh, today we're going to be talking to my friend Nikki Gratrix. Um, she has a really, really interesting approach to uh, you know why some people have many people have chronic fatigue and health issues, et cetera, this is a very interesting podcast. And she's going to be talking about one of the underlying causes of chronic fatigue, which is emotional stress, trauma in childhood and a lot of uh, you know tips on how we can overcome our childhood trauma and in any kind of trauma that you've suffered in your lifetime. And we're gonna be talking about how stress and trauma, emotional trauma affect your health, um, how you can act, how you can act to address the effects of emotional trauma, and how to attain abundant energy. But before we do the podcast, I have to let you know that this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any of the suggestions that we suggest today on the podcast. Uh, The Live to 110 podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health conditions. Now, our guest, uh, Nikki Grotrix, um, she is an award-winning internationally renowned registered nutritionist, mind-body expert, and health writer, helping people to optimize their energy. In 2005, she co-founded one of the largest mind-body clinics in integrative medicine in the UK with patients in 35 countries where she worked as Director of Nutrition until 2010. The clinic specialized in treating uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, won the award for outstanding practice in 2009, and later published a preliminary study in 2012 on its results with patients in the British medical journal Open. After finishing her degree in economic and international politics at the University of Warwick, Nikki started her working career as a chartered accountant. After a seven-year career in financial services, she left to work in an environment with more heart and meaning and in a way she could more directly help and serve others. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. Great to to be here. Yes, yes. I'm happy to have you. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your story?
1: Yes, so uh, I originally co-founded a clinic that specialised in working with people with fatigue. Uh, It was back in 2005 and um, it was a clinic that uh, we had, it was a mind-body clinic. So we had a psychology division and we had a nutrition division and I headed up the nutrition side Um, and we we treated, in the end, we had 10 practitioners and uh, it was quite big and we had patients in 35 different countries and actually we, we ended up doing a published study in the British Medical Journal and taking a multifactorial approach to optimi- optimizing fatigue. So um, I've always sort of approached all chronic complex illnesses from a kind of um, psychological as well as physiological approach because I think anything less than that is a disservice to the patient. And you're likely to get less kind of results doing that. So that was uh, so I did that for sort of uh, up to about 2010, and then I ran a, a large summit online, which was the, it's called the Abundant Energy Summit again. Um, specializing in how to optimize energy and well-being and uh, overcome chronic fatigue. And I was interviewing about 29 world-leading experts, and I had 30,000 people on the summit. So I think it's the biggest fatigue summit so far that's been online. So uh, now I have a sort of a busy online sort of engaged audience uh, where I cover all these aspects to having amazing energy.
0: And what is the website to your summit?
1: The the summit website is AbundantEnergySummit.com.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. So for anyone, you can still like look at the summit and, and, you know, uh, benefit from it as well. If you go to that, that URL, that web address. Um, so let's talk about how important is stress and emotional trauma in attaining and maintaining abundant energy and health? Cause I know a lot of people have, you know, emotional issues that are very, very stressful physically on their body. And how does that relate to their energy production?
1: So uh, trauma, especially early life trauma is such a huge topic. And it's, it's so important. I think it's probably the most underexposed risk factor um, for health conditions. Um, So just, I mean, trauma or emotional stress throughout a lifetime has a a major impact on health. But just to give you an idea about how important it is, and most people don't realize this, there's some statistics around um, adverse childhood events. So specifically looking at early life stress, um, and there were huge studies done by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, uh, looking at a cohort of over 17,500 adults. And they, they did, they started all these studies in about the mid 1990s. And they, they were looking at, first of all, they measured like how many people had like adverse childhood events. Um, they came out and 67% of everybody had adverse childhood events. When you consider like gluten is about 20%, gluten sensitivity is about 20% of the population. Um adverse childhood events is up to 70%, and that was an underestimate. So, and the sort of things you just clarify as well, what we're we talking about and we talk about adverse childhood events and trauma and so on. With with they actually specified about 10 different things, and they said um, it's parents separating or divorce, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, um, physical and emotional neglect, domestic violence, mental illness in the family, substance abuse, or incarceration by a family member. Um, but that was an underestimate because the, the researchers, I'll tell you the statistics in a minute, of the correlation between the number of adverse childhood events, we call them ACEs, and illness onset in later life, is it's just absolutely mind-blowing. But I, just to say right away, they they actually underestimated that as well. They missed out things like um, being a, a victim of, say, homophobia, racism, um, death of a caregiver, uh, problems with homelessness in childhood or financial stress that hits childhood as well. So, they, they missed many things, but um, just to sort of tell you, to explain to people, if people had a high number of ACEs in childhood, they had an increased risk of seven out of 10 of the top 10 causes of death. Um, if you had f- sort of four ACEs, your relative risk of things like uh, chronic obstructive Pulmonary disorder is two and a half times higher than people with no ACEs. Hepatitis, two and a half times higher. Depression, four and a half times higher. Cancer is two and a half times higher. Diabetes is two times higher. Stroke, the same. Being suicidal was 12 times higher. Alzheimer's, four times higher. And things like if you had eight ACEs, um, your risk of lung cancer and heart disease was triple. Um, and it they've st- they did the same huge studies with autoimmune disease, um the correlation of a woman who has um, aces in childhood, um she has a strong correlation. To to, produce, to having autoimmunity in childhood as smoking and lung cancer, the correlation is as strong. So, oh, and, and if you have six ACEs, you have a reduced lifespan of twenty years. Wow. So these were these were CDC kinds Permanente studies. So, and the the list goes on. And the, since they started the studies in the mid nineteen nineties. The researchers were shocked with the results. They weren't expecting it. Um the studies originally came out of a a obesity clinic running at Kaiser Permanente and um they couldn't work out why people were dropping out. They were doing really well with people losing weight. Um and then it was Dr. Felitti and Dr. Ander who were the the researchers they at Kaiser Permanente. They wanted to discover like why are we doing so well? And then suddenly people just starting to lose the weight, and then they had about a 55% dropout rate. by mistake, they started to interview people. Um, and one woman summed it up when she basically said, look, um, she started to get panic attacks the thinner that she got and the better that she was and the more anxious, the, the thinner that she was getting. And in the end, she just said, look, um, you know, I was sexually abused as a child. And I realize now that the weight I'm carrying was protection. It's I don't want to be seen. I'm I'm going to get less attention if I'm bigger. So it kind of summed up that was an example. So they investigated that and then found this Sort of shocking um, results that just show that, that seriously it was um, a hidden crisis, I suppose. Um, and also, if you if you think just something else as well, they missed certain aces, um, and they also ignored things like intergenerationally inherited trauma so this is now coming through the research studies are clearly showing that um, trauma for example third generation survivors of the holocaust victims have the same physiological and psychological symptoms as their parents Mm. and that's being shown in um, various different countries where there's been destructive acts of war or famine that's been shown um and they're also showing it now uh that the basically we'll talk more about this when we talk about mechanisms but early life stress and emotional trauma in general has an epigenetic impact so of course that can be inherited um so it's huge it's the biggest factor and i'm on a mission to talk about it and kind that of get it
0: out to a wide audience <clears throat> that is so so interesting because you know, I, I do hair mineral analysis and I can see trauma patterns in the hair mineral analysis. Interesting. And And uh, very, like people have really, really high calcium levels. Calcium deadens nerve impulses. It uh, numbs you emotionally and physically. So I know when people have really high calcium, they've had some sort of trauma. I don't know what kind, but some sort of trauma that physiologically affects them and it yes. affects their health and their metabolism and their body, et cetera. And um, so let's talk about some of the, the mechanisms. Like how does trauma and stress um, affect our biology? So this is a really interesting area. And um,
1: whether the, the same mechanisms are at work, whether it's an early life childhood event or it happens in childhood, it happens in adulthood, the mechanisms are the same. Um, the impact of adverse childhood events, so trauma during childhood, is particularly um, has a particularly powerful effect because the child's brain is still developing and they're much more, if you like, imprintable. But in essence, the the mechanisms are the same. So one of the things that they found, effectively, you've got three areas that that trauma affects. It's basically affects behavior, biology, and beliefs and emotions. Um, So the early studies showed that certainly, you know, if you have early life stress, it's going to affect your behavior and it's going to impact health behaviors. So you're much more likely if you have ACEs in childhood, say four or more ACEs, um, you're for example seven times more likely to become an alcoholic, 11 times more likely to use injection drugs, you're more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior, eat bad food, uh, binge drink, all of those things. So obviously that's going to have some explanation for that correlation with the high increased risk of all those diseases. But the original cohort showed that it wasn't enough to explain because they most of the people who had normal cholesterol, normal weight, didn't smoke, didn't drink, weren't diabetic, if they had seven ACEs, they still had a 360% increased risk of heart disease. So effectively, what's going on? Because it's obviously not enough uh, to explain just by behavior. And so this is the key thing where we get into understanding the, um, it's basically the biochemistry of stress. And understanding um, essentially, we're getting into a bit of what we call the science of psychoneuroimmunology, this connection between um, the neuroendocrine system and how the brain speaks to the immune system. And effectively, what's happening in when trauma is especially happening in early childhood, is epigenetically we're changing, we're resetting the brain's uh, response to stress to a lowered threshold where epigenetically things are changing, where this um, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, this HPA axis, which is the hub of of kind of um, the stress system in the body, this becomes a lowered fresh threshold for this system to become activated. And we have cortisol pumping out for longer. So this is what actually changes. And essentially, you, you're basically marinating in cortisol and sort of eventually inflammatory cytokines. So chronic, unpredictable stress, either a one-off shock or intermittent over time, um, sort of kindles the brain, kindles this HPA axis, changes epigenetically. So unfortunately, it does reset the system permanently, unless you intervene, and we can talk about you can intervene and you just can be reversed, but it, unless you intervene, it, it will stay that way. Um, and so the research has really shown there's big, huge studies kind of, this is this is generated a lot of research, obviously, this the, the whole kind of ACEs work. Um, and there's a lot of pe- researchers now getting very interested in, in how this um, trauma is affecting people epigenetically um, and through the stress mechanism. So, and really, depending on which illness that you get, it depends on your if you like, your genetic wheat link and your exposure to epigenetically inherited and current life stressors. So, you know, some people will go on and if it affects their brain, for example, chronic stress that goes crazy in the brain will cause the uh, the little microglia, which the immune systems in the cell to go berserk, it's the immune system cells in the brain to go crazy. And that they start pruning nerves in the brain, which that leads to Alzheimer's. They're thinking that's leading to other psychiatric problems. Um, other people it will eventually lead, I mean, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and that range of illnesses, they are like the poster children for adverse childhood events. They, if you have adverse childhood events you have a six-fold increased risk of chronic fatigue syndrome in later life um- Sort of sexual abuse in childhood is very highly strongly correlated with the onset of fibromyalgia. And that that's why I kind of, it was like my case study to study that illness. Um, but, you know, in that, in those cases, the HPA axis is going out of balance and ultimately causing in chronic fatigue problems with mitochondrial function. And in fibromyalgia, it can be how people are processing um, serotonin and so on and, and pain receptors. So it just depending on your genetics. That th- those stresses will all affect the core systems of the HPA axis and um, the immune system to lead to a, a chronic shift that's going to stay there. And it's a bit of a smoking gun because you- you're just going to have this there, this stress all that time. Your whole system's reset. So it only takes another few other stresses later in life, a trigger. And you, you sort of fall into full blown illness. But really, the illness started 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and people don't realize that their whole system had already shifted from a long time ago. So it takes a long time for a chronic illness to appear. It just doesn't happen overnight.
0: Yes, I hope that's yeah. That's a, that's an amazing explanation because I mean, <clears throat> all the research is showing all the diseases, cancer, and um, you know, autoimmune disease, etc. They all are beginning 20, 30 years prior to manifesting symptoms and stress. So we know that, you know, you've established that people that have suffered abuse and trauma, um, you know, it affects their biology and they're not able to produce energy. Anyone suffering from chronic fatigue or severe health issues, autoimmune, et cetera. um, You know, what are the steps that these people can take to begin addressing emotional trauma and healing it? Like, where do they start? Okay.
1: So there's plenty. The good news is um, there's things like uh, neurogenesis, there's neurosynaptogenesis. So the good news is, you know, you can reverse the impact um, of all kinds of trauma. So I have like a kind of uh, five step that i normally share with people um and the first thing to do the kind of the the step one that's and it's kind of uh, not too expensive to do either you know first of all you might just want to start by what i call exploring so maybe if you have a illness now um for example go and maybe you can get your a score a score go and take the original questionnaire and start tossing up um you know, the number that you may have. So I have a completely freely available, the questionnaire from the original, um, research on my website, which is at nikigratrix.com, a score, all one word, lowercase. So that's, um, N-I-K-I-G-R, uh, xcom a A score. Um, so, you know, and start the exploration process. So, um, The other thing is that it's shown, for example, that journaling is also uh, scientifically even shown to to really help sort of start to resolve the trauma because you'll we'll talk about this more, but you'll want to um, reverse sort of biochemical impacts, but you'll also want to actually resolve the trauma at the emotional level as well. So we're talking about kind of um, changing beliefs and so on. So journaling um, is fantastic. And it's sort of just asking questions that you may not have questioned before, like, could there have been something, some kind of trauma either in childhood or adulthood or even in the onset of the illness that was stress-related, which was emotional trauma-related? When that trauma happened, was it um, much more kind of emotionally? So they tend to be uh, the more sensitive types. Can you feel energy in a room? Can you read emotions in a room and so on? Um, the more sensitive types need to have kind of even more boundaries and so on. Um, at the time when the trauma happened, was there anybody you could talk to because the research shows that if you did have just one it can dramatically on sort of long-term impacts. And also, was it one ACE or trauma, or was it many over time? Um, was it covert trauma? Was it not something so overt like alcoholism or anything like that? But was it more verbal and emotional abuse? Um, did it lead on to destructive health patterns? Um, can you c- can you correlate that with any kind of you know binge drinking or anything like that? The other thing that the aces do and trauma does is it, it does it shapes our personalities so if we tend to be an overachiever a workaholism um over giving to others and a, a tendency for lack of self-care um which kind of uh, did it impact that as well can you see sort of personality traits that have been impacted by an event that happened that ever since that event happened you kind of felt the need of either worthlessness or you had to prove yourself all the time um one of the things that we used a lot in our clinic to help um, kind of establish the impact of uh, on personality and so on is um, there's a personality called test called the Enneagram, and it's a system of nine different personality types, and it includes things like the anxiety type, uh, the giver, the, the achiever, the perfectionist, and we actually identified those four have um, if you like the most energy depleting psychologies. We called <laughs> we called it because. Um, um, they seem to be the ones that m- that show up most prevalently with things like chronic fatigue, for example. Um, so the reason I just read out the Enneagram, if you go to Enneagram Institute, that's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M institute.com, it's a completely free little questionnaire you can do online there and just start to investigate and that will lead you down another kind of road as well. So the first thing is, yeah, you might you might never even thought about trauma as a, as a sort of factor for some chronic illness that you may have now. So just start by exploring exploring um, and maybe talk to somebody you may have never talked to anybody about it before so um, that's kind of step one that's easy kind of straightforward thing to do Another thing, like step two, which is again, it's perfectly, it's doable. Everybody can do this. Um, it's certain lifestyle factors, which uh, and practices, uh, Eastern practices, where there's nice, plenty amounts of research showing that they reduce information, reduce the stress response, change things even epigenetically. And the sort of the big four that I call them are things like tai chi, meditation. Yoga and qigong and bringing that as a kind of a regular practice. It has to be a regular practice done over time, but that will definitely is scientifically shown to do all kinds of things, like even you know increase telomere length. We love telomere; we like long telomeres, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. This a sign sign of uh, anti aging. So, um, you know, those are some of the big the big ones shown to reduce inflammation and things like that. So, a regular practice so that you can start to reduce this sort of overactive stress response. Um, another key area, sort of step three, um, is actually looking at your relationships and the culture that you're in. And a lot of people completely overlook this, but it's actually a huge factor. And when I was in clinical practice, um, you know, if somebody was in a relationship, are uh, spending a lot of time with people, either family, friends, or partner, who is a negative person or has a lot of emotional trauma themselves, and is not proactive about kind of resolving it and so on you know it affects you majorly and um we would often find that people could do all kinds of things for themselves to kind of prove their health resolve emotional trauma for themselves but if they were stuck into some kind of relationship with somebody who wasn't supportive and was in a very negative place your energy will be directly affected by that you know the research of heart math shows that we all have this electromagnetic field around our hearts um, and the re- their hardcore research has shown that that um, our fields tend to synchronize they go into a coherent state with one another so if some and also your your sort of your field and how coherent is is directly correlated with emotions that's another thing that heart math showed they have a 75 percent correlation with what they call heart rate variability which is a brilliant test for stress so if you have a low HR, uh, hrv heart rate variability because you're in a chronic state of stress all the time and you're hanging around that all the time uh, or someone else's energy field like that it will impact you um and there are huge studies like landmark studies showing that you know social isolation or lack of social support is a huge factor for increased inflammation and it's a bigger risk factor than things like smoking or you could you basically you're smoking 15 cigarettes a day if you don't have um you know and that was studies of 300 people. people was a landmark study so This is really important, you know, who you hang out with is who you become. And that was a Tony Robbins comment. and He was Mm -hmm. probably right. He said it many years ago. Um, Two final factors, if you're considering professional help. Obviously, um, there's plenty of different types of professional help for resolving trauma out there. Um, Some of the best things that you can do. I must say, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. Like we have biochemical individuality, we have psychological individuality. You know, somebody can go and do hypnotherapy on a on an event that happened with them and have amazing results, and someone else does it and it doesn't work. So, but so, some of the things that do work, um, just psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, helps some. You know, not. Not everybody's a fan of them, but it does work for some. Neurofeedback is showing promising results. So it's a little bit more expensive. You'd have to look that online, uh, look up that online, and um, find a practitioner who's got a system you could sign in with. Yes. So another one is NLP, that's uh, neuro-linguistic programming. That's being found to be great. Um, A lot of uh, clinics that specialize in things like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and those related illnesses are using NLP to help reverse what we're calling the maladaptive stress response, which is um, both an increased stress response to general things in life, but also to the symptoms and and of being ill and the trauma of being ill. And that can be a a fundamental factor because um, maladaptive stress towards your own, illness is a perpetuating factor so NLP is great another one is EMDR which is uh, eye movement desensitization and uh, reprocessing Um, EFT and TFT they are you can find tons of resources online um, for for tapping all kinds of emotional trauma just YouTube you know EFT for everything plenty of research online for that or um, and support online A couple of others worth mentioning are somatic experiencing. That's the work of Dr. Peter Levine, who wrote uh, the book called Waking the Tiger Healing Trauma. He's a world-leading expert. It's a more body-focused trauma because trauma doesn't just exist in the brain and the mind. It also uh, seems to the body remembers Uh, of the trauma and so actually you also need to clear through the body as well so it's a it's a sort of very feeling focused um, experiential type uh, of therapy and the last one worth mentioning is is family constellations therapy that dr dietrich klinghart's a big fan of that one is actually really good for uh, intergenerational trauma so if you want to actually resolve a trauma that might be impacting you that happened two generations ago it's a kind of group therapy but the key things about all this kind of the different types of professional support out there. Really, what people need to do is go and investigate the different types You know, if they've got free 15-minute chats that you can get so you can talk to the practitioner, get a feel for it, look at other people's uh, patient stories, their patient success stories. Uh, There'll be books available on all of those different topics um, and information online. And you've got to really see what resonates with you. And also, you know, sometimes synchronistically we get put in touch with a particular practitioner and so trust that. Um, Sometimes it's worth trusting and just explore that. So you've got to find out what's the right thing for you and what resonates with you. So there, there, there's no fixed protocol. Um, it's just finding out what, what you're most comfortable doing. Um, but the good news is that all of those types of things have shown results with uh, reversing emotional trauma and improving health conditions. And the final point five that I always uh, kind of stress in my middle uh, sort of five point plan here is, for recovery from emotional trauma is not throughout the biochemistry and work that you would do on the biology directly, because once we're in us, we've had emotional trauma. It's changed our body epigenetically, and it changes things like the gut. It, it causes leaky gut. There's, the research has shown that um, it changes the HPA axis, as we've mentioned, and so on. And all that does is actually increase the toxic load that we now carry around, which perpetuates. The whole sort of stress response because toxins, um, the body doesn't differentiate between emotional stress, the HPA axis doesn't differentiate between emotional stress and chemical or electrical stress, for example. So, once we have trauma, we have potentially this increased toxic load on the body coming from things like leaky gut, we're not detoxifying properly, um, we're often not sleeping properly, and so on. So, we do need to stop this vicious cycle and actually intervene. And, you know, so if we have leaky gut, heal it. Uh, if we think we have food sensitivities, you know, get the diet under control. If we think we've got a build-up of toxicity, you know, do the cleansing, get the good minerals in, you know. Um, and also you can do things like um, HPA axis modulation with, you know, things like adaptogenic, adaptogenic herbs and things as we know. And there may be other, um, you know, kind of the SNPs or a bit of genetic testing we could do. We might need to bypass uh, certain kind of genetic propensities nutritionally which will all clear the toxins out and reduce the overall toxic load and the burden, which in turn reduces the stress effects. So, you know, the body doesn't differentiate. We need to kind of intervene somewhere um, and kind of reduce that side as well. What what we found is if if you just do biochemical work and you don't do any psychology work, you might not get as as good a results. There may be, you might get great results and the patient didn't need anything else or you may get partial results or not, you know, results that get so far but doesn't take the patient the whole way. So if you bring in the psychology, you'll get in a full healing state. And when you work concurrently, it makes everything you do on the biochemistry work better. I've also found that if you if you sort of vice versa, if all you do is psychology and you don't do any biochemistry, you can get a fast result um, and you may get a full result, but there's an increased risk of relapse. Um, so people may do really well for like a month and then, you know, the, the body's just not kind of freeing them enough. They need to get the diet sorted out. They need to get the inflammation down in other areas. So really a concurrent approach is what we use in the clinic. We definitely found that was, um, the best way. And the patient has to find their personal journey in that. And it will be different. People will need to do different things. You
0: know, it's all personalized, obviously. Yes. And so what else do people need to consider when they're trying to optimize their energy?
1: Well, no, I suppose that's, you could look at many of the topics that I kind of covered on my summit. But, um, if you're specifically just talking about energy, um, I would be looking, it's actually a lot, of, a lot of what we covered. So we want to look at it, it kind of emotional stresses, childhood stresses, um, impact of trauma in adulthood. We want to see is the trauma that we have is, are we are we traumatized by being ill? Um, and do we need to have extra support around the fact that we're actually dealing with something that's traumatic in our lifetime in Currently, right now, because you know maybe we're dealing with um, disability all of a sudden because we suddenly have a an illness onset and it's caused a, a change in lifestyle. Um, also, w- people it is good to look at things like personality uh, typing and are we doing behaviours that are actually depleting our energy? So are we a, a workaholic and a total kind of overachiever? You know, no amount of vegetable juicing or supplements is going to fix the fact that you don't get enough rest. And people forget, you know, pacing. Like sleep and rest, (laughs) you know, these are these are uh, absolutely huge. And with someone who's actually, if you are suffering from fatigue, maybe you just need to get more sleep. You know, maybe you just need more breaks and holidays and things. Um, We can all probably put our hand up to overworking sometimes. So. Those kind of things. Um, so your the also you know your exercise regime is huge, and, and kind of those practices I talked about the Eastern practices are all uh, very important. There's a, a couple of other factors that that are kind of tend to get overlooked, but also kind of the electromagnetic side of things. So you know we run run on the sun you know sunlight is so important it's not just vitamin d it actually charges the water in our body and makes the whole flow of our water sort of system better it's called structured water if anybody wants to look into it in the work of um it's professor gerald Polak's work who's who's amazing expert on water um so things like that and earthing being connected to the earth and you know if you've ever walked down a beach for half an hour barefoot and you just feel all bouncy and like kathy and floating it like um you know the the earth is a massive it's like when you plug in your phone and you recharge your phone you know when we connect barefoot to the earth it's just like that we're recharging our system so sunlight earthing uh, circadian rhythms and and the whole emf thing so uh, the electromagnetic frequencies too much blue light at night that's coming from screens um you know having wi-fi on all the time and your cell phone on those are all not only are they stressors they fatigue as well so you know i have a whole sort of um sleep hygiene and kind of, um, I do an EMF home cleanup where people kind of, you turn off your wifi at night, you turn your cell phone to, um, airplane mode as much as you can and things like that. So I'd also, so we've got psychology, energetics and, many of those things I mentioned on the, the biochemistry side. So I'd throw in some work with mitochondrial function there as well, specifically for energy. But again, multifactorial approach, um, you have more than one body to consider. That's what I always say to people, you know, think about your biochemistry, think about energetics and electromagnetics and think about psychology. And if you if you're doing that, that's truly holistic. You're you're truly taking a holistic approach. So uh, I, that's everything I kind of covered on my summit as well, kind of the whole shebang.
0: Yeah. So, so how do people deal with this extra level of complexity now that they they need to consider both body and their mind? Well,
1: it's it's very interesting because you know it might seem like a lot to people. So. I think um, the best thing to, you know, if you, Candice Pert, who was one of the kind of uh, mind-body experts, she wrote um, The Molecules in Emotion. She's one of the kind of leading experts out there. She kind of says, look, everything that happens, you, you can't differentiate between the mind and the body. The two things are connected. And a healing impulse from any side, the the physical body or the psychology body can actually sort of correct the whole system. So um, it's not sort of a linear thing. And it's a bit like um, if you have like loads on the boat and those are stresses and it might be toxic, it might be emotional, it might be electromagnetic and that's weighing the boat down and and as we get ill, that's the boat sinking. Well, what we want to do is unload the boat. So the idea is let's optimize. You, you might not even – don't even think about focus on causes, like optimize the physical, everything you could do environmental and, and physiologically. Optimize the electromagnetic body. Optimize what you're doing psychologically. You know. um, if you do all that, you're unloading enough things off the boat that eventually it will come back up. But because we're talking about systems here, we're talking about systems, bulging systems theory, where everything affects everything, and it's kind of complexity and complex adaptive systems, we're we're often waiting for a tipping point. So you can do a lot of work over a long period, not see much return, and then all of a sudden you take that last thing off it goes all in one go and i call that the scales effective recovery so those old balance scales that um, where let's say the the heavy weights are on one side causing the weights to be out of balance and in an ill state well you take one weight off the weights aren't going to change, that thing's not going to balance until we take the last weight off the balance scales. So sometimes we just, I think the message is for people, don't give up, your body knows how to heal itself. If you just unload over time and think about, go wider, don't just think about biochemistry, think about all these other things. Especially if you thought you were in a chronic complex illness state you think you've done everything you probably haven't, <laughs> I have probably listed some things you haven't done yet. So, um, consider it like that. Don't give up the body knows how to heal itself and just optimize and consider all of those things. And it might be just that one last thing that you need to do, um, before that last kind of tipping points hit. So, um, you know, yeah, don't give up and everyone can recover and have brilliant energy and feel fantastic. So
0: are there any other like last few tips that you have for the listeners who are, you know, trying to unburden themselves from their emotional trauma and improve their energy levels? Um,
1: you know, this idea about, just I'd reiterate what I said about the body knows how to heal itself. You know, when you get a cut, you know, the body knows how to heal itself. You don't have to do anything. Or even if you break a leg, if you think about that, if you just have people think about that, you know, you go to hospital, but it's not the doctors putting the thing together. I mean, they just, they put it in the right position, but what does the healing is.
0: So I have a question I like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? I think it's
1: it goes back to what I started to talk about, which is I think it's how we look after our children, and it's it's their it's parents not being neglectful, it's understanding that even divorce or separation is having a traumatic impact on our children, it's the social care and attention that we're actually and how well we're looking after children, Um, and I think that is based on the statistics. I think it really is the number one biggest factor. you know and it sets so many things up um for later life that are really you know the downstream things that happen like diet or a trigger and exposure to a bug or something this, this the system's already been weakened by what happened in childhood so I think this hidden crisis um, of sexual, I- emotional neglect, um, emotional abuse, especially covert emotional abuse. I think unfortunately we live in an emotionally dumb society, um, and it's the same way we, we kind of, you know, if you think about the average Joe, what they know about diets, and they kind of say, "My diet's great. There's no problem with my diet. You know, I'm, I'm healthy." And then you, you know, as a as a practitioner, you'll sit down with them for three days. And, Let's just look at your diet for three days, and let me let me talk you through why this maybe isn't so healthy. Well, people say, yeah, I had a great childhood. Fantastic. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm all good. And really, when you sit down and you find out what they've been through and you talk to them, the covert trauma is, is just is epidemic levels. So that's not even including things like having alcoholic parents or mental illness. You know, those things are overt. It's the covert as well, which is just a huge hidden uh, crisis going on. So I think that's definitely number one.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true because the the statistics you talked about earlier that almost 70% of people at least have some sort of ACEs or adverse childhood events. And I mean, I know I have friends, I have several friends that were abused as children or sexually abused or whatnot. And they really have a tough time. And, And you can see that someone constantly trying to cover up their stuff down their negative emotions with alcohol or drugs or whatever their their choice is to reduce their anxiety um, dramatically impacts their health. And it's just, it's sad to watch. And a lot of people are suffering in silence um, from true. Their, their childhood trauma. Um, so wanting for the listeners a little bit more, you know, about you and where they can you know, uh, get in touch with you and kind of, you know, the, you know, learn more about what you do and how they can benefit from it.
1: Yeah, great. So my website is, uh, com. That's N-I-K-I-G-R-A-T-R-I-X.com. And on there, I've got some freebies. So I've got some sort of eBooks that you can get on there. So sort of access to reports on, um, you know, steps to abundant energy, and also on their um, steps to uh, healing emotional trauma as well. So, I have a lot of resources in that free ebook as well. If people want to sign up to that, and if people are interested in the summit, there's a link there for my website as well. So, basically, everything that they would need to know is on my website.
0: Well, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on uh, coming on the podcast. I Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much
1: for having me, Wendy. And um, thank you for all the work you're doing as well, which is uh, getting so much important information out there.
0: Yes, and listeners, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to live to 110.com And you can learn more about my healing and detox program at mineralpower.com. I have a nice new website uh, for my mineral power program. Go check that out. And thank you for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.